Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. I grew up acting in Los Angeles before I ever went to Mosaic for my first time. And at a very young age, I was doing some really cool things. So when I first approached the worship team to see if I could sing and and be on the team and, and be up there, I quickly realized that the ego I had built up from doing awesome, incredible things was very prominent um, inside of me, and it showed. I approached the worship pastor, I was just like, hey, I sing pretty well, (laughs) can I be on the worship team? And he was just like, yeah, why don't you come serve with us? And I was just like, oh, that's great, now I'm going to be singing on Sunday. And so I get there and I show up early Sunday morning, and I'm like, okay, are we going to test mics? And he's just like, no, you're going to be actually getting coffee for the whole entire team, you're going to be serving us. I never thought I would find fulfillment in something like that. Every time I would come on a Sunday and I would get coffee for people, like slowly and slowly, I just felt like these walls were like being knocked down and like I I didn't feel like I was too good for this because I knew what I was doing for them was important. I found the humility that I had never found anywhere else um, just by getting coffee for people. It got to a point where I realized that what I'm doing off stage was just as important as what I'm doing on stage. That it's not about just having talent and being up there singing, but it's actually about serving. And when you're up there leading worship, you're, you're not singing for you, you're, you're, you're serving the people that walk into Mosaic. I'm LJ, and Love Built This. So tonight, what I want to talk to you about is the missing piece. Because if you pay close attention, one of the things you you discover as you move from conversation to conversation to conversation is is that no no, no matter how much peace may be around you, sometimes the most difficult and elusive thing in the world is to find peace within you. In fact, I'm amazed how many people I I talk to who, who share with me that they're struggling with anxiety. They're struggling with panic attacks. They're struggling with an overwhelming sense of despair or depression. And, and there's some of you here, you carry the weight of stress and, and you feel the weight on your soul and sometimes it feels as if you're suffocating because you can barely breathe. There's so much turmoil inside of you. The chaos that you desperately need to find some calm from goes with you wherever you go because it's inside of you, not around you. And one of the unique narratives in the scriptures that the scriptures seem to be determined for us to get a hold of is how God stepped into human history in the person of Jesus very specifically to bring us peace. I think the languaging has been misunderstood and so many times it seems as if it's almost impossible for Jesus to get across to us 
what kind of peace he brings and how he brings peace. But if there's anything that seems so clear is that somewhere along the way we lost our peace and we all began to fall to pieces. If you look back in the book of Isaiah, generations before Jesus ever came, Jesus was described by him in language so detailed and so beautiful and so poetic that we might miss its power. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah layers different names of the Messiah, the Christ, the the promised one. and, And in those names, he lays for us an imagery of who he would be and what he would accomplish on our behalf. And he describes him as wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father. But but for our purposes in this moment, I want to focus on the fourth, Prince of Peace. In fact, even though he places this forth, the very next verse is built on this imagery, this promise, this title, this name. He will be called Prince of Peace and the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. Now, it's easy enough for me to go, I believe you, Jesus, that the greatness of your government and peace, there will be no end, but when will it begin? Because if you're gonna be honest, if you go, Of this government of peace, there will be no end. It seems that of this government of peace, there is no beginning. Because we've been waiting 2,000 years for his government to bring peace. And it seems if there's any phrase in the scriptures that has been terribly and profoundly misunderstood, it's this one. We tend to focus more on the word government than we do on the word peace. We somehow think that, that Jesus had a plan to take over governments to bring peace. But I think we've had enough time to understand, to evaluate, to carry on a social experiment, to realize that Jesus never intended to bring peace through governments. He meant to establish his own government of peace. It's not at the throne or at the center of any empire or nation. The government that Jesus establishes, the peace that will never end is the one that he establishes in the human heart. He goes on to say, and he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He connects the word peace to justice and righteousness. Because when we think of peace, if, if it begins as inner peace, it expresses itself through justice and righteousness. There is no peace within us that does not transform the world outside of us. Now, maybe you think, well, well, this is imagery that's idealistic, but he doesn't understand the kind of world we live in. Because after all, it's so much worse now than it was then, right? 
Of course, all they knew was domination by the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Romans. They don't understand how hard it is for us right now. But both in the time of Isaiah and the time of Jesus, whether it's the Babylonians or the Romans, they understood that they did not live in a context where peace would be a natural outflow of the human heart. Imagine a world like this where you are conquered by a nation that oppresses the poor, that devalues the common citizen, that, that only focuses on the powerful and the elite, that cares nothing about those who are starving, impoverished, creating a system of such economic inequity that the masses never receive the benefit of the kingdom or empire in which they are ruled. To be victims and slaves in an empire where its leader thinks he is a god. It's hard to imagine a world like that. (laughs) But that's the world they lived in. And Jesus says, I've come to establish a government of peace inside of this kind of world. Jesus stepped into human history to be the missing piece that all of us desperately need. But we keep trying to find some external force, some external institution or structure that will finally give us the peace we all so desperately long for. But the reason the world is always at war, and have you figured out that humanity is always finding a way to express itself in violence and war? And we keep talking about the war to end all wars. And yet, as, as advanced as we become, as, as, as evolved as we may be, as educated as we are, as much technology as we can create, we're on the verge of creating artificial intelligence, but we cannot create real peace. It seems to elude us because the war that ends all war is the war for the human heart. And every war and every act of violence is simply an external expression of the turmoil and chaos inside of the human spirit. These are the words that Isaiah wrote about the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. He would be the prince of shalom, of peace. This word shalom is such a unique word. It, it can be as trivial as simply a greeting, shalom. It can be just a, a word said in passing, shalom. It can be overlooked, like how are you doing? But shalom is a word that is more than a greeting. It is a declaration of peace, speaking peace into someone's life, speaking peace into someone's home. And it's talking about this this deep, intrinsic peace that goes beyond understanding. And one of the beautiful things about the word shalom, it, it can be used as a greeting and it can describe peace, but it also, in its essence, speaks of wholeness. This shalom, this peace, it makes us whole. It puts together all the missing pieces. It heals the part of us that is broken. It takes humans who are shattered at the core of their being and makes them whole. This is the shalom that Jesus is promised to bring to the world. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful about this word, that it layers from peace to wholeness to interconnection. See, the word shalom assumes that we are all supposed to be interconnected. That the universe is not mathematical. The universe is relational. 
And the shalom is God's ideal that all of us should actually be interconnected to one another, that we should all be connected through peace, through love, through community. That there's something that binds us more beautifully, more powerfully, more profoundly than blood. It's this shalom that, that God warned Cain he needed to find. Because when Cain would not offer God an offering that was acceptable to God, he became angry with God and then he killed his brother because the moment he refused to come to peace with God, he determined his future that he would have no peace with man. Luke describes this imagery when when that moment came when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth was pregnant with John. And though they were cousins, John would become known as John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the Christ, this Jesus. And, and over John's life, these words were spoken in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. I love that. Because of the tender mercies of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Say, John, you're going to prepare the way for the coming of the Prince of Peace. And through his light and his life, he will guide us all to the path of peace. And I know something about you because I know it about myself. Peace is such an elusive space in which we struggle to find and exist. It's amazing. Not all the wealth in the world, not all the freedom in the world can actually give you inner peace. And there's some of you here and your souls are raging within you. And for some of you, the lack of peace looks like anger and rage and bitterness. For some of you, your lack of peace looks like fear and doubt and worry. It's strange how the lack of peace can materialize itself in so many different ways. But it always does find its way. It says he comes to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The other day, I spent the day reflecting on peace and just reflecting and meditating on peace and thinking about how so many people I know have been studying and exploring Buddhism to try to find mindfulness, and I know why. It's because their minds are full of distress and chaos. And so they're stepping into a space trying to silence their inner world, hoping somehow they can move their soul to nothingness. Because nothing is better than the something we have. I think it's tragic that our best hope for inner peace 
is to numb the human spirit so that we never feel or think again. Is there not a better way to find peace? And I spent that day contemplating and reflecting and diving deep into peace. And, and then that night I went to sleep. Interesting phrase, rest in peace. Why do you think it's on tombstones, rest in peace? I think the reason it says R.I.P. on tombstones is because they hope for the first time in that person's life they finally rested in peace. See, I think for most of us, we have to take our last breath before there's any hope of resting in peace. Some of you have not yet learned to rest in peace. And so I went to sleep in the middle of the night around 2, 2.30 in the morning. I have vivid dreams. No, it's not fair to call them dreams. I have vivid nightmares. In the middle of the night, I had one of those nightmares that overtook me. And, and in that nightmare, I... I I can't even explain the details of it, but something inside of me said that I had 90 seconds to live and I was going to die. And I woke up and the nightmare stayed with me. Let me tell you, that's a terrifying moment. And I remember yelling at Kim, waking up my wife saying, I'm going to die. I just want to say goodbye. And Kim's looking at me, paralyzed. I almost killed her. And Mariah was in London, so I knew I couldn't get to her. And I said, I only have a, a few seconds. I'm going to run and say goodbye to Aaron. I took off running out of the bedroom, down the hall. And I began to run down the stairs. I thought he was staying at the guest house, but he just happened to be upstairs. And he heard the commotion. He ran over and grabbed me. And they tried to, like, center me and call me and, and, and carefully awaken me from my nightmare. And I was shaking. I kept thinking to myself, that next day, how is it possible that you can spend the day focusing on peace and find your soul in so much distress? Why do we have nightmares? Why can't they be night awesomes? <laughs> I remember the only way I could describe it is every time I go to the deepest part of me, I feel like there's a back door that locks out all the darkness that once filled my soul. And when I'm not careful, it just finds a way back in. See, for me, this isn't just a metaphor. It's not just an image that he came to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. But I want you to know something. Your anxiety, your fear, your doubt, your stress, all of that which haunts you, your guilt, your shame, Everything that steals your peace is powerless to the peace that Jesus brings. It's probably the most celebrated declaration at the coming of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It's where the angels come and make their declaration of the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I was struck that, that you have this, this company of angels, 
And they come to make a declaration, and their declaration is that God will be glorified in the highest heaven when there is peace on earth. Now, not just any heaven, by the way. I don't know how many layers there are. But it's suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven. And so the only thing I know about the highest heaven is that it's the heaven furthest from us. A heaven that has been untouched and untainted by the choices we've made. So why would angels care from the highest heaven that there would be peace on earth? How would this bring God ultimate glory? I mean, after all, if there is no God, then we have no hope for peace. But if there is no God, we're we're just specks of dust in the backdrop of an ever-expanding universe with an illusion of meaning whose existence is irrelevant. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But even with God... Why would we matter so much? I mean, why would our peace matter so much to a God with the highest heaven? Why would he even pay attention to the mess of us? Why, why doesn't he just give himself, I guess what golfers call a mulligan? Why doesn't God just give himself a do-over? Just go, you know, I thought humanity was a good idea. I'm God, but this one's got me. (laughs) Why doesn't God just start over again? I mean, after all, we're just dust. Why would God concern himself with peace on earth? And haven't we given God enough evidence that we don't deserve this peace? Because we're a people of violence. We are a people of war. We seem to continue no matter how far we advance, no matter how much we evolve, no matter how educated we are, no matter how developed we are, we still seem to have a history of war and violence, of injustice, of poverty. We seem to always find a way to justify using people for our own benefit. How is it possible that that we can explore out of space but we can't solve the problems of human poverty? How is it possible that we can create cell phones that make you a master photographer, (laughs) but we can't solve the problems of human trafficking and slavery? How is it possible that we can build buildings so high you cannot see their top, and yet we can't figure out how to provide clean water and food to every human being on the planet? Is it that we only do the things that interest us and ignore the things that don't affect us? Why in the world would God bother to give us peace when we have a history of violence and indifference? And yet this is the angels declare glory to God. For some reason, God will be declared glory even in the highest heavens when there's peace on those upon whom his favor rests. And by the way, If you want to know if God's favor has rested on you, you can know that by the peace that has rested in you. Because this is the proof of God. Not your wealth, not your success, not your popularity. The proof of God's favor on your life is that in the midst of all the chaos, 
of life, you have found peace. So out of this, we should not be surprised what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's almost as if he needs to clarify, because when you ever used the same language to someone, but you meant something different, like good coffee? <laughs> Have you ever said to someone, hey, let's go get good coffee, and they oh, let's go, oh, let's go here? And you realize, oh, we're not speaking the same language. It's English, but it's not English, right? Let's go see a good movie. You go, yeah, that's not what I meant. When Jesus speaks about peace, he somehow knows that we're using the same word, but we mean something completely different. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Not not the kind of peace that the world has given you. This is not what I'm offering. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I, I love how Jesus just so simply cuts through what steals our peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. See, if you just take these two and conquer them, you will have the peace your soul longs for. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Half of your peace, maybe 90% of your peace, who knows, will be stolen by worry. Some of you, your hearts are troubled. You're just always worried. Everything's going to fall apart. The world is going to come apart. The economy is going to fall apart. You're going to lose your girlfriend. You don't even have a girlfriend. You're going... Which is also really worries you. <laughs> Some of you are worried all the time. Your entire life is built on worry. If you didn't have something to worry about, you wouldn't know what to do with your life. Think of all the time you would have if you stopped worrying. And when someone tries to be optimistic, you just think they're, they're, they're just lying to themselves. You're delusional. The world is in trouble. See, when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he understands that when your heart is troubled, you think everything is in trouble. Because you act as if you're looking for trouble because you're not finding trouble, you're bringing trouble. When your hearts are troubled, you are the trouble you're trying to escape, but it's trapped inside of your skin. Some of you are just worried all the time. And you're worried about things that you have no power or no control over. And you're worried about them because you've stepped into the space that only Jesus has the strength to carry. And so you're trying to carry what you should not be worried about. You're trying to carry what you should simply trust him about. He says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Let go of the worry and the peace will come. Embrace his peace and the worry will go. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. If worry can steal your peace, so much more will fear. Some of you are worried, but you're also afraid. You don't even know the difference because they just traveled together in a pack. You're worried all the time, and you're afraid of everything. Some of you are so afraid that you can't even step into the life you're created to live. I, I don't know what has made some of you afraid. I, I think a part of what has made you afraid is that you didn't fail soon enough. And so you've avoided failure. You've avoided the pain of failure. And so you're so afraid because you don't know. It doesn't hurt that much. 
When I was growing up in Miami, me and my brother would fight all the time. He would beat me up. He's my older brother. He was two years older than me, and so I was at a slight physical disadvantage. And we, and we just fight all the time, fight all the time, fight all the time. Finally, my stepdad said, I'm so sick of it. So he went and bought us boxing gloves. <laughs> if you're going to fight, you're going to turn it into a sport. So I learned how to box at an early age. And we used to have this, this technique that we would take a floor mat, this, this long, this wide, and we'd stand on the floor mat. And as we got older, we just gave up the gloves and just used our fists. And the goal was to stand that floor mat, and whoever could knock the other person off the floor mat, and the only place you were allowed to punch was the face. It's the, the opposite of protective strategies. Head trauma was the goal. And one of the things I learned is that as long as I was afraid to get hit, I would get hit. See, I quickly discovered See, the first time you get hit in the face, it hurts. But it doesn't hurt so bad. I got up. When you got hit once, it created less fear for the second time, the third time, the fourth time. Some of you, the reason you're living in fear is because you haven't failed quickly enough, soon enough, painfully enough. You need to learn how much power is actually inside of you. You are so afraid of nothing. And let me tell you... Because the people who are afraid of something, they're doing something. But some of you are so afraid of nothing that it leaves you with nothing. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Stop worrying and do not be afraid. Stop being controlled by fear. Worry and fear will steal your peace. So stop trying to be the king of your life, the prince of your soul, and let Jesus be the prince of peace. In John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And here, here's the critical transition. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He's just, just admiring Jesus or believing in Jesus isn't enough to have the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus only comes when you live in him and he lives in you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Then he says something that I don't think he needs to say, but he says it anyway because we need to hear it. In this world, you will have trouble. See, and that's how I know this is like overwhelmingly a white church. Because I don't know how I can say something like that without, like, mm, you know. <laughs> like so, somebody, somebody's got to be saying something. Because, like, if what I say about God, you're like, I'm not sure if, they, if that's, he's right about God. I know I'm right about this. Because in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> it's always a wannabe white guy who does that. And uh, <laughs> I can't get Joe Smith. I mean, I'm still working. I'm working. In this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. See, what Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is the reality of human history. The reason we will have trouble is because we're in trouble. 
The reason we will have trouble is because we are trouble. The reason we will have trouble is because we create trouble, because the human soul is troubled. Because our souls, because our souls rage. Our souls rage with fear. Our souls rage with bitterness. Our souls rage with greed and envy. Our souls rage with arrogance and pride. Our souls rage. And our souls create out of that rage. And it looks like unforgiveness and bitterness and violence and war. It looks like the history of us. And so Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. And we keep wanting Jesus to fix the world without changing us. But we are the world. And if he doesn't change us, nothing, nothing, nothing changes. But take heart. I have overcome. And we love to hear that. I have overcome the world. But we, we sort of throw that as far as it can go. He has overcome the world. <laughs> you all them. He overcame the world. So now I can be at peace. But there's somebody over there. Hearing Jesus said, don't worry, I've overcome the world. And they're going, he's overcome the world. And they're pointing at you. <laughs> you see, the world that Jesus came to overcome is the world within us. This is the war that ends all war. The war of the human heart. But we didn't want peace. We didn't want a prince of peace. We wanted a... Uh, we wanted a king who established a government on this world and through power and violence would stop everyone else from being our trouble. But there is no kingdom that could ever be established that will ever be a kingdom of peace if the human heart remains the same. And so Jesus came to be our peace. I love how the Talmud says that Jesus, that God is peace. And when the Talmud describes God as peace, we know that it's Jesus who is that peace. But then we killed him. What an interesting plot twist. (laughs) Peace has come, but our violence killed him. His path of peace, that path of peace, right in the middle of that path, there was a cross. His way of peace brought him to the most horrific moment in human history. His peace could only come to us through our violence. And we killed him, and then it was quiet for a few days. As quiet as chaos and turmoil and darkness can be. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. By the way, this is how you can know Jesus is different than me. Because if I, if I came to, to bring peace, and I grabbed a couple of you, made you my dozen, my minion, you guys are my boys, and then they're going to kill me and you run, I'm not forgetting that. <laughs> you use 
the scriptures that I wrote to justify killing me? I'm writing that down. You take an empire that I allowed to exist, and then you use your power to nail me to a tree. And it's not enough for you to kill me. You have to mock me and spit on me and tear me to pieces and put on me a crown of thorns to mock my love for you and my gift of peace. And then, on the third day, I rose from the dead. Let me tell you, I would not be Jesus. I would be Negan. If you watch The Walking Dead, I'd be taking names. And there's nowhere you could go. You can run to Samaria, but I know Samaria. You can run to Galatia, but I'm getting there. Because, see, if I rose from the dead, I might come back with an attitude. And if you locked your doors, because you heard a rumor that I wasn't dead, even if I was just partially alive, that partially alive me would find you and bring you down like a dog. But that's just me. That's not Jesus, and I'm trying to be like Jesus. So the third day came, and Jesus... We were told rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. And in John chapter 20, beginning of verse 19, it says, on the first, on the evening of the first day of that week, that was Sunday, by the way, it's the first day of the week. It's how you begin your week. On the evening of that first day of the week, of that first day of the week, you know, that first day, Right after that last day when we killed him. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came. I love that. The doors were locked, but Jesus came anyway. That would be terrifying. That would be like cardiac arrest. It would be... Jesus came and stood among them. And by the way, you can lock all the doors, but Jesus is going to find a way to bring his love and his peace to you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, I'm back. (laughs) He chose these words so carefully. You know, you ever want to be quotable? You ever want people to remember what you had to say? Conquer death. Everyone will hang on every word. You don't even have to be profound. See, when you've conquered death, everything you say is profound. And these are the first four words that Jesus spoke to them. Peace be with you. 
And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the signs of our violence. Oh, how badly he knew we needed peace. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Shalom. The greeting that will change every greeting of your life. For this is God saying welcome. The shalom, the peace that will calm your soul's rage. For the one who spoke to the waves and the winds and said be still will calm your weary soul. Peace be with you. The one who understands that when we severed our relationship with God, we tore the peace and fell to pieces. And you may not understand this, but the scriptures tell us that the entire universe is groaning for its redemption because we broke it to pieces. Because it wasn't supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to be brother hating brother and family hating family and people hating people and it wasn't supposed to be a humanity separated by race. It wasn't supposed to be a humanity who valued each other based on skin color. It wasn't supposed to be a history of humanity where we draw lines on territories and then fight over them and care more about what we possess than the people that we've ended. It was supposed to be different than this. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, he came to be the missing piece. The piece that your soul longs for. The peace that will bring us together again. And do we need enough evidence to know there is no nation There is no government, there is no institution, there is no drug, there is nothing that will end the violence if the war to end all wars is not won. Jesus came to establish his government in you and in me. He came to bring peace to our hearts, peace to our souls, peace to the inner universe of who we are. Because once we know his peace, then we will bring justice and righteousness everywhere we go. Jesus is the peace, the missing peace. He is your shalom. Would you bow your heads to me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. There are some of you here in this moment and you're so overwhelmed by life. Worry and fear. Guilt and shame. You're just broken to pieces. Your soul is shattered. And you know how to hide it well. You know how to be functional, but your soul is in turmoil. And you so desperately need God to bring peace to you. I am so convinced that in this moment, Jesus wants to bring peace. He 
wants to bring to you the peace that you've longed for. He wants to bring an end to the anger and hurt inside of you. He wants to bring an end to the bitterness and anger inside of you. He wants to bring an end to the fear and doubt inside of you. He wants to bring an end to your sense of insecurity and insignificance. He wants to cast out from the depth of your darkness all the things that have paralyzed you and limited you. And he wants to fill you with his peace right now. But his peace, his peace has a name and his name is Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I wanna encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also wanna encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I wanna thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.